Good morning. Please open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And uh, as you're turning there, I do want to read out a little note here from the Chong family. Dear Calvary Baptist Church, thank you for your help and prayers for our family during the time of bereavement. And then 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding, in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so let's remember the Chong family even still um, after the passing of Brother Larry. And it's good to see Judy and Shane here with us. And um, we're here for you. And uh, don't hesitate to reach out if you need anything. Colossians chapter 3. Last week, we looked at the big five questions of life. Can anybody remind me what's the first of those big five questions. See how closely you were listening last week. Remember, the first question was, where did we come from? It's the question of origins. Do we even have purpose? And we said either it's chance, evolution, we're a big accident, there is no ultimate purpose, or we were created by God on purpose for a purpose, which means that our life has purpose. And that led us to the second question, which was, Who am I? Hey, there we go. That's better. Who am I was the second question. The question of identity, the question that our world is greatly struggling with, especially younger generations today. What am I at my core? And uh, this simply stated was, uh, we talked about how God created us as relational beings with a soul. And at our core, we are created in the image of God with the ability to have relationships with others That is something that is central to the human being. And then it led us to the next question, why am I here? The question of purpose. So what is our purpose? So if God created us, he gave us a purpose. Our purpose is found in how he made us, and he made us relational beings. The the deepest level of our purpose is found in our relationships, and especially our relationship with God. And then question number four, where am I going? We had this beautiful relationship with God when he first created mankind, But we sinned, we broke that relationship, and it changed our destiny. We were destined, we we were meant to live with God in that perfect harmony forever. But we sinned, we chose to go the opposite way, we broke that harmony. And so, if we die in our sin, we're separated from God. We're separated from that beautiful relationship. But God made a way, and the last question, what can I do? What can we do to get back to our purpose? Well, it's through trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus came down, took our sin upon him, died on the cross, was buried, rose again, proving he's God and has victory over sin and can give us victory over sin as well. And so if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Savior, today we want to talk about the purpose that God has for you. This is the purpose that God has for everybody in this room who knows Jesus Christ as Savior. Now the thing is, you may be a really good person, you may go to church, you may call yourself a Christian, but if you don't have a personal relationship with God, if you haven't come back to Him and said, you know what, I messed up, God, I need to get things right with you, I need your forgiveness, through the person of Jesus Christ, you're still disconnected from your your purpose. And that's what you need to do first and foremost. You need to come to Jesus Christ so you can be reunited with God and your purpose. But if you have trusted Christ, there is one thing that God is deeply interested for you in life. 
And that is to make you more like Jesus Christ. Look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8. If you would, if you would stand with me as we read and allow me to read the even numbered verses and if you would read out the odd numbered verses down through verse 15. So once you find Colossians chapter 3, if you would stand and read with me if you're able, starting responsively, I'll start in verse 8. But now ye also put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. Let's pray and ask the Lord to speak to hearts. Father, we thank you so much for the word of God. And we, commit, we yield our hearts, Lord, to it this morning, praying and asking that you would do a supernatural work within us through this time in your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thank you. You may be seated. I want you to look back at the verse number 10. And it says, And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge, after the image of him that created him. The idea of that word renewed is the idea of renovation. Now, I brought up my uh, little toolbox here. And so when you think about renovating something, my dad was a painter. He still is a painter. And so I have a little bit of experience when it comes to construction sites. Uh, We didn't do a lot of renovating. Mainly we stuck to painting, but uh, we did a little bit. I uh, watched my dad do a little bit of repairs, carpentry, some uh, plasterboard, different things. So when you, when you get into a job to do a renovating job, you need some tools, right? And so first and foremost, you have to be safe, so you need your safety goggles. Now, being from Alabama, I guess we're kind of rednecks. We don't use safety glasses. So if, uh, if you are all about safety, then you can do that. So you've got some different tools. What else have we got? Lighting is good, especially for painting. My dad was always uh, very picky about lighting. I think, man, dad. But he was quite a bit older than me, so maybe his eyesight wasn't quite as good. But he wanted lighting. He wanted good lighting, okay? Um, You need a tape measure. Every carpenter, everybody uh, working in wood and stuff helps. If you're doing plasterboard, you need to have a a knife to cut through that, that plasterboard. Probably the most common tool in the box Hammer, you got to have a hammer. Can't do anything without a hammer, right? Um, and then the, probably the most abused tool in the box, the, the screwdriver. You can use this thing for just about anything. Uh, but you got the hammer. Sometimes when you're doing renovations, you have to, you have to take out some of the, 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 the material that's gone bad. You've got some moldy plasterboard. You've got some uh, rotted timbers. Okay, so, so the hammer is fun. The hammer is a, a really good guy's tool. 
And then when you get to the end, you, you got to put the coat of paint on to cover it up, make it all look nice, right? And so this is the constant struggle between the painters and, let's say, the, the carpet layers, because the carpet layers come in and they bang, Brother Tim knows this, they scuff the wall. We just painted the wall, and you come in and you scuff the wall. And now we have to go in and we have to be more particular now because you put the carpet down, so we can't get paint on the carpet. So you just made the painter's uh, you know, job a lot harder. So anyway, renovating. You go in and you take out the bad and you replace it with the good. This is the idea here of what Jesus is doing in our life. Verse 10, it says, put on the new man, which is renewed or renovated in the knowledge of the image of him that created him. How are we renovated, spiritually speaking? Jesus is coming into our life and he is He's going to work with the hammer. Sometimes it's not fun when Jesus comes in and says, that's not good, that's uh, decaying, it's going to lead to a crumbling life, so we're going to have to knock that out. And you say, ouch, that hurts. That doesn't feel good. But he has your best interest in mind, and if you will let him have his way, at the end product, he's going to come by, he's going to, Finish it up, all nice and strong, make it look beautiful, just as good as new. And that's the work Jesus is doing in our life. But we have to allow him to do that work in us. I want to encourage you this morning, if you know Jesus as your Savior, get this. Jesus is making you to be more like himself. That's an awesome thought. Jesus, totally perfect, totally pure, totally loving, just, righteous, and He's working in you to make you more like Himself. And you know, even the most stubborn of us as Christians, Jesus is pretty good. He's a pretty good renovator. He's still working in you to make you more like himself. And I believe any Christian, regardless of, of your level of commitment or, or your yielding, if you truly know Christ, he is working in you to make you more like himself. Let's thank God for that truth today. And this is the main thing that God is concerned about in your life as a Christian. Primarily, God is concerned about making you more like himself. He's not concerned, like Brother Emmanuel, he's not concerned with you going out and planting a thousand churches in Africa, primarily. He's not concerned with you raising millions of dollars for charity. He's not concerned with you making a difference in the world, primarily. Those things are secondary. What God is primarily interested in your life is making you more like Jesus. Because what happens when we become like Jesus, what happens? What did Jesus do? He changed the world. 
It was said about his disciples, his followers, these men have turned the world upside down. Christianity has spread all throughout the world. Jesus Christ, with a group of 12 committed followers, and by the way, Jesus being 30 years old, he probably, his disciples were probably much younger than he was. The Apostle John lived till 80, 90, 100. He was probably just a teenager when he started following Jesus. And so Jesus Christ, because of the power of his internal man, the power of God, took a bunch of young people and transformed the world forever. And so if we get a hold of this doctrine, it's called the doctrine of sanctification. It simply means Jesus is making you to be more like himself. And within this doctrine, we have the capacity as Christians to literally change the world. But it starts when we allow Jesus to change ourselves. So we want to talk about sanctification this morning. This purpose that God has for every Christian, First Thessalonians 4.3 says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Hey, you want to know what God's will is? You want to know what God is concerned about in your life? It's your sanctification. Jesus making you to be more like himself. So today we want to break this down into four different parts. First, we want to look at the definition of sanctification. Then uh, some descriptions of sanctification. Finally, or, or thirdly, a vital discovery. And then lastly, the depiction of sanctification. So first off, we want to look at the definition of sanctification. What is sanctification? And again, simply put, sanctification is, well, you say it with me, Jesus making you to be more like himself. All right, so let's, let's all say that together. We need to get that this morning. Jesus making you to be more like himself. So think about this. There are two sides of sanctification. First off, the removal of sin. Jesus is sinless, and so he's deeply interested in taking sin out of your life. The sin that has separated you from God, the sin that has harmed your spirit, the sin that causes you to hurt other people, Jesus is profoundly interested in removing sin from your life. Do you hate sin the way that God hates sin? Now, how does God hate sin? I have a a little jar up here. I I looked this up uh, this week. How to make a homemade stink bomb. It's actually very, very simple. Do you want to come smell it, Miss Zoe? That was a great reaction. Look at her face right there. That is a great reaction. So it's very simple. If you just have a little protein powder, you, you stick in some water. Apparently, it makes a really nasty stink bomb. I haven't actually tested it yet, but uh, who wants to be my volunteer? Anybody want to come and be my volunteer? Uh, I'm getting a grimace here from, from Ms. Schuler. Man, I'm getting grimaces, and you're just not even, you're, you haven't even smelled it yet. You're just thinking about it, all right? So how much do you hate sin? Well, the picture in the Bible of God's hatred for sin, sometimes God refers to certain sins as abomination. The word abomination, it means to stink in your nostrils. Think about, think about something that has a nasty stench, a stink bomb. Have anybody ever experienced the stink bomb prank? All right, maybe at university or something. It smells. Hey, when I was a residence manager at Pensacola, so I was overseeing a residence hall, there was a problem in our residence hall with rodents. 
All right, so the, the students, the guys like to go out and buy pizzas, and then they would leave the cardboard boxes all around the residence hall. They're not good at taking out the trash. Like, these are university students, and they're not good at taking out the trash. Just, it's just down the hall to the, the rubber chute, but uh, they can't even take out the trash. Okay, so we have rodents. And uh, one of the students thought he'd be really smart. He's like, ah, I'm going to stick some, uh, some rat poison in the ceiling tile, and that'll take care of them. But the thing is, he didn't think down the road enough, when that rat or mouse dies, where's it going to be? And uh, thankfully for him, it, it ran down for four rooms and died on the top of somebody else's room, so he didn't have to deal with the smell. But if you walked into that room and, boom, man, the smell, you wanted to get out of there. That is God's reaction to sin. Do we have that same reaction to sin? Ooh, get it away. Get it out of here. So Jesus is making us to be more like himself. Today, I want to encourage you to ask the Lord, Lord, give me your repulsion for sin. Personally, I want nothing to do with sin. I hate sin. So there's one aspect of sanctification hating sin, removing sin. But the second part of sanctification is, is filling us with righteousness. It's the opposite. So it's not just good enough to get rid of the sin. You've got to be filled up on righteousness. Just flip over a couple pages to Philippians chapter 1. It's just one, one book back. Philippians chapter 1. And look at verse 6 in Philippians chapter 1. It says, Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work... In you. Okay, what's that good work? It's the work of sanctification. He will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. This is a guarantee. This is a guarantee. Jesus is going to do this work in his people. Verse 9, jump down to verse 9. It says, And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. So Jesus is getting the sin out, but then he's, he wants to fill us with his love. So look, it says that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and judgment. He wants to give us insight and discernment to use this love in the world. Verse 10, that ye may approve things that are excellent. You make good choices. That ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. You'll have a good testimony. You won't have sin uh, on your record, so to speak. Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ under the glory and praise of God. So what Jesus is doing, his goal, is to come into your life, to, to remove the sin, to fill you with righteousness, and he does this by filling you with love and discernment so you can make good choices, so you can have a good testimony in the world, and he's going to fill you with the fruits of righteousness. And that's sanctification. That's what Jesus is doing in your life. So that's the definition of Sanctification, Jesus making you to be more like himself, removing the sin, and filling you with righteousness. Second, let's look at the descriptions of sanctification, the three phases of sanctification. Jesus making you to be more like himself. The first phase is the past phase. This is justification. That's the theological term. When you believe in Jesus to forgive you of your sins, you're justified. You are forgiven. God declares you to be righteous. Your sin removed. You are righteous 
in the eyes of God. He actually imputes to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You have a totally perfect record before God. And that is justification. We call it the past phase because that's what happened when you trusted in Jesus Christ. Uh, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 says, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? All right, the unrighteous, they have no hope of inheriting the kingdom of God, but it says, just down a verse, And such were some of you. So this is the good news. Even though we were unrighteous, God comes into us and He makes us righteous. But ye are washed, ye are sanctified, ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of our God. So Jesus gives us the opportunity to be justified, standing before God perfectly. Then the second phase of sanctification, we can call this progressive sanctification. Right now, those of us who have been justified, trusted in Christ as Savior, God is working in us to make us more like Jesus. But this is a progressive process. It doesn't happen overnight. We still struggle with the flesh. We still struggle with sin. But Jesus, over time, is working in our life to make us closer and closer to his image. And uh, if you go over to, well, I'll read it out to you. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. This is awesome. God has made it. Jesus has made it. So our sin we are dead to sin. We have the capacity to live unto righteousness. We have been rebirthed from inside. We have the ability to live a righteous life because of Jesus Christ. It's a progressive thing. As we yield more and more to Christ, the more and more we will see Him changing us to be like Christ. And then we'll finish with the future phase. This is called glorification. It's when we will be delivered from the presence of sin with God in heaven. Go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and we will read about the future phase, this phase of glorification, that is the hope of every believer in Jesus Christ. This is the culmination of this work that Jesus is doing in us. He is, in the future, going to glorify us. We will be absolutely like Him in, in an uncorrupted state. So look at verse 51, if you would, there in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be... What's the next word? Jesus is changing us to be more like himself. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound, and the dead shall be raised, incorruptible... And we shall be, what's that word? Changed. Jesus is changing us to be more like himself. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. What a thought! One day, those who are in Jesus Christ will put off a, a body that's going to die and replace it with a body that will never die. An immortal body. Verse 54 says, So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. Amen. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, Realize this, believer, 
the victory is already won. The victory is already won. We have victory over sin. There is coming a day we won't be bound to a sinful, corruptible body. We will be transported. We will be renewed. We will be renovated. And we won't have to deal with sin. We'll be saved from the very presence of sin. So the, the past phase of sanctification, justification, we are saved from the penalty of sin. We're justified. No longer to, to head toward hell. No longer to head toward God's judgment. We're saved from that. But we're also saved from the power of sin. That's the present phase. We have the ability within ourselves, because of Jesus, to have victory over sin. And then in the future, glorification, the third phase, we will be saved from the very presence of sin. What an awesome promise to those who trust in Christ. So those are the descriptions of sanctification. We have victory in Jesus, past, present, and future, from the penalty, power, and eventually the presence of sin. So we looked at the definition. We've looked at the descriptions of sanctification. Jesus changing you to be more like himself. What an awesome thought. Third, let's look at the, the second phase more closely. We want to look at three amazing discoveries, if you will, from the book of Romans, Romans chapter 6. So if you would go over to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. These are three key truths to wrap your head around if you're truly going to understand and realize the victory in sanctification. Romans chapter 6. I already read this verse, but let's read it again. Romans chapter 6. If you would read it out with me. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. We have the victory over sin. Jump down to verse 17. It says, But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Verse 18, Being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness. And then jump down to verse 22, But now being made free from sin, ye became servants to God. Ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Three key words to see in this passage that will help us to unlock the power of sanctification. Christ making us to be more like himself. If you go back down to verse 9, verse 9, the first key word is to know. If we're going to realize the power of sanctification of Christ in our life, first we must know. Verse 9 says, Knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. We need to know this. It says, Christ being raised from the dead dieth no more. We know from the book of Hebrews, Jesus paid once and for all the penalty of sin. Jesus does not continually die over and over and over for our sin. There is no perpetual atonement, as some people teach. Jesus died once, and that was it. Now, for us who have believed in Jesus, we have been baptized into his death, and we have been raised to walk in newness of life. So, do we have to continually 
keep crucifying ourselves? Do we continually have to strive to die over and over and over again to attain salvation, to attain victory over sin? No, it's done. It is finished. So know this, believer. The victory has been won. You are dead to sin. You're dead to sin. Your identity has been transformed. You are placed into Jesus Christ, raised to walk in newness of life, raised to walk in righteousness. So first off, we have to know that is the truth. Second of all, actually, let's, uh, let's illustrate this. Brother Ricardo? No, 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 no. Do you, is it okay? Would you, would you mind helping out with this? Okay. I'm putting him on the spot here. I didn't ask him before. If, yeah, yeah. Not the stink bomb. Not the stink bomb. No, no, no. The stink bomb's over. All right, so I've just got some good old-fashioned twine here. Would you mind just put your hands together? Okay. We're going we're gonna to bind him in sin this morning, okay? So we've got... So I don't think you can break this. You're not Samson, are you? Well, you want to make this Oh, he hesitates. You want to try? You can try. <laughs> okay, so, so I don't think he's breaking that. Okay, so he's bound in sin, but now he comes to Christ. He asks Christ for forgiveness. Christ comes into his life. He frees him from sin. Okay, so then Christ comes with the, with the scissors of forgiveness, so to speak, and he breaks it. Okay? All right, so, so now he's freed. All right, so that is what we need to know. Get this, this picture. Every Christian, we are free. Thank you, Brother McCarthy. We are freed from sin. The bonds have been broken, okay? But then, second of all, we need to reckon. Jump down to verse 11. Verse 11 says, likewise. Okay, so likewise, what we just read, we're dead to sin in Jesus Christ. Verse 11 says, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. The word reckon means to take an inventory, to estimate. So we know that we are dead to sin in Jesus Christ. The second step then is to reckon. It's to take the inventory. It's to, it's to say, this is true, and it's true of me. And I am, I'm taking hold of that truth in my life. It's a step of faith. It's a step in your attitude. It's a change in your attitude to say, to embrace the victory that Jesus Christ has given you. Don't live in defeat. Don't live with this idea that I can never break free from sin. I'm just struck. I, I don't know that I'll ever. No, that's not the way we think. As Christians, we are in Christ. And we have the ability to live a godly and righteous life. We'll get to that in a little bit. Reckon. Change the way you account. Change the way that you think about the economy of the spiritual life. You do not have to live in a debt of sin. You have the capacity in Jesus Christ to live on the credit side, to be putting out righteousness into the world, to be living a godly, righteous life just like Jesus Christ. Reckon. You have to re Change, change the way you think about your spiritual state. Now, Brother Ricardo, he has been freed from sin, right? Let's say it would be, um, 
it'd be kind of weird for him to come back up and say, hey, uh, hey, uh, Pastor Josh, uh, you got those scissors? You still got those scissors? Can you, can you, can you like, cut, cut those ropes again? I'll look at him and I'll say, they're already cut. You don't have to get them cut again. It's already done. But so many Christians, we, we walk around and we think, oh, I'm just, oh, I'm waiting to heaven. I can, I, I, I'm just stuck in, in sin. I can't, I can't ever break this sin until heaven. I just have to wait until glory. And the, the thing is, they're holding their wrists together. They're, they're going around moping and grinding. And they don't realize that the, the ropes have been cut. Their hands have been made free to do righteous in the world. But because they haven't reckoned the truth of God's word in their life, they live in a, a sense of defeat. So we have to know we are dead to sin in Christ. We have to reckon that we are alive unto God. We, we live under a different economy. And here's the beauty of this truth. When you as a Christian, when you are knowing and reckoning yourself dead to sin, and you're praying, you're communing with God in His Word, and you're asking God to lead you and guide you in, in life, that temptation comes up to get upset to, to become angry with someone. They did something annoying to you. But the Holy Spirit of God in you whispers, na na na, Josh, we don't get angry anymore. In Jesus Christ, you respond appropriately. You respond with patience. When, when it's, oh, that person did me wrong. I'm going to get back at them. No, 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 no. We don't do that anymore. Christians don't take vengeance. Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. And you start letting the Holy Spirit and the Word of God lead and direct your life. And you start seeing victory over sin. But the key is, and the key is in the next verse, or verse 13, the word yield. The word yield. It says, Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. You know, we have in our bodies, our physical bodies, we have the impulse to do all sorts of things. Right and wrong. Um, many times wrong. Our, our natural inclination, our members want to strike out in anger. They want to be selfish. They want to do what pleases ourselves. And, and this verse is saying, no, 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 no. You have your body, your members, your, your life, that you can either yield it to those bad passions, those bad impulses, or you can yield it to, to the right things, to the good things. And so the key is, who are you listening to? Are you listening to the, the self-seeking, self-desiring voice in your head? the natural man, or are you listening to the Holy Spirit of God and yielding to Him? So once we know that we're free from sin, and once we reckon, we do the accounting of it, and we say, look, I'm not living in the debt anymore. I'm living on the credit side for God. And then we yield to that. We yield to the fruit of the Spirit. We yield to the Word of God as He brings it to mind. And when, when we catch ourselves getting ready to, to, to lash out. No, 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 no. I I'm in Christ. 
Christ doesn't do that. I don't do that anymore. I do the patient thing. I do the loving thing. I do the self-controlled thing. So we re-change the way we think. What does the Bible say in Romans chapter 12? It says that our minds need to be renewed. Ephesians chapter 4, the renewing of the inner man. We need our mind to be renewed. Change the way we think about sin and the spiritual economy and get God's word into our hearts and minds and then respond to the Holy Spirit as he leads us through God's word. Now, if you go back to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, this is a great practical passage of the doctrine of sanctification. Jesus is working in us to make us more like himself. And here is a list, basically, of things that Jesus is working to remove in verse 8. We call this the put-off, put-on principle. Verse 8 says, but now ye also... And what's the next two words? Put off. Okay, remember our definition of sanctification, Jesus making us to be more like himself, removing the sin. All right, so we're putting off. What are we putting off? Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. These are, these are attitudes. These are sins of the mouth. Those things put off. Seeing that ye have, what are the next two words? Thank you, Brother Tim. What are the next two words? Put off the old man. Jesus removing the sin, the old man, the man of sin. And then it says in verse 10, and have, what are the next two words, everybody? Put on. All right, so Jesus is removing the sin, and now he is filling us with righteousness. So have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. That image, the, the, the person being spoken of there is Jesus Christ. How do, we, how do we put on the new man? By knowing Jesus Christ. Filling our minds with the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And then jump down to verse 12. What are the first two words, everybody? Put on. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, because look at this. What does it say? Put on, therefore, as the elect of God. Remember, reckon... No, you're dead to sin. You're alive to righteousness. Reckon, take inventory. I'm one of the elect of God. It says, it says, holy and beloved. That is our identity. As Christians, that's who we are. We are holy and beloved. We are to reckon, take on that mindset, the mindset of the Holy Spirit that says, I'm one of God's. I'm born of God. The Holy Spirit bears record in our spirit that we are one of God's. He regenerates us. He renews the way we think, the internal man. So put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. You who have believed in Christ, you're holy and beloved. When God looks at you, he sees, Brother Benji, he doesn't see the sinful, rotten sinner, Brother Benji. He sees the Lord Jesus Christ. Woo! Yes! That's awesome! That's how God looks at you. If you know Jesus Christ, how much He loves you, how much He adores you, just like 
You are beloved. You're accepted in the beloved. Think about this. This is who we are as Christians. So put off those sins. Put on the new man. Put on the righteousness of Christ. Follow the Holy Spirit's lead in your life. The idea here of put off, put on, it's, it has the idea of taking off clothes. So you, you take off a garment. Hey, you put off. Get rid of it. Remember, how does God view sin? It stinks. I don't want, any, I don't want anything to do with that stuff. It's nasty. But then the idea is, you also, it says, put on. Okay, so it's not just good enough. Okay, okay, I get it. Sin is nasty. I'll, I'll get it. Sin's, sin's nasty. I'll get rid of it. Okay. But, you know, some people, they're really hard to get along with. And I just, okay, I won't hate that person. I won't uh, backbite. I won't gossip about the person. But I am not going to be friends with that person. No, no. That's too much. Too much. Okay. And so what happens is you, you, you want to throw off the sin but you're not willing to put on a replacement, what happens? What happens when you don't put on the replacement? Eventually, this old jacket, the old man, starts to creep back up on you, and you don't even realize it, and all of a sudden, a little bit of bitterness creeps in, and then all of a sudden, a little bit of hatred creeps in, and all of a sudden, you are at odds with that person. You're angry with that person. You're mad at that person. Because it's not good enough just to put off the sin. You have to put on the opposite righteous characteristic. There was a person in my life very difficult to get along with. And over time, I I tried to say, okay, I'm not going to be upset with the person. I'm not going to be angry at that person. I'll be indifferent toward that person. But I realized... That wasn't good enough. Because just trying to be indifferent, those old attitudes of of anger, of bitterness, they kept creeping back on. Until I was willing to say, okay, I'm going to let go. And really, you have to look at the positive points of the person. Hey, if they're a fellow believer... You need to look at them the way God looks at them. Totally righteous in Jesus Christ. One day to be sanctified, glorified, we'll be in heaven all together in harmony. You need to, you need to look at them with love and say, you know what? That person is a pain. They're a pain for me to deal with. But I'm going to go out of my way. I'm going to go. I'm just going to do something kind for them. I'm going to go out of my way to do something kind for them for no reason other than the fact that Christ loves them. You know, and it's when we start to live that way that the love of Christ becomes more and more evident in our life. When we allow Him to change our attitudes and our mind about sin and selfishness. 
he's, that's Jesus working in us, changing us to be more like himself. You know, just yesterday I was out at English Hospital. I was visiting Alf and Melissa. And uh, as I was coming back, I thought I would, I would distribute some tracts in the neighborhood. And I saw this little girl. She, she, there was an entrepreneur in um, Ferntree Gully yesterday. And uh, she was sitting out by the footpath. She had a little table there. And she had a little bags, plastic bags with some blackberries. And she had a basket of beans, some purple beans. And they were making these little stress balls, putting some kind of paste in these little balloons. And uh, 50 cents for the blackberries, 50 cents a bag, the be- uh, you know, whatever. And she's out there waving every blackberry shop, blackberry shop, trying to get customers to, to stop. It was really cute. And, uh, you know, if it was Josh Zacharias, the way that he tends to be, um, kind of task-oriented, focused on my own thing, doing my own thing. I don't got time for, I'm kind of introvert. I don't want to go meet people. If I was to listen to who Josh Zacharias is, I just blow by, don't even care. But thank God the Holy Spirit lives in Josh Zacharias. And so as I see this little girl, I see... I could really make her day by, by just going and, and buying a bag of blackberries or whatever, right? So I pull over, I get out, I go up, and, hey, how's it going? What are you doing? You're a little entrepreneur, chat with them a little bit. I buy some blackberries from her. She's, a, she's happy. She had a customer. You know, it's very little. It's something very small in the eyes of the world, right? But I'm thankful because that right there is a sign that Jesus Christ is working in me, changing me to be more like himself. Jesus is working in you. He's making you to be more like himself. He's active all the time, every day. The question is, are we yielding? Are we listening to his still, small voice and doing what he wants? You ever hear the old song, Do Right? I look at Fiona because I want to see her reaction. I'm not going to sing it. I don't want to give you a heart attack. But the, the song, Do Right, from the very start, have purpose in your heart to do what's right and never question why. Never count the cost, though everything seems lost. The price for doing right is sometimes high. Do you purpose in your heart? That's where it begins. Being like Jesus, it starts when you reckon. Reckon yourself dead unto sin, but alive unto God. Yielding, purposing to do what is right each and every time. Do right till the stars fall. Do right till the last call. Do right when there's no one else to stand by you. Do right when you're all alone. Do right though it's never known. Do right since you love the Lord. Do right. Do right. So that's the discovery of sanctification that Jesus Christ 
In him we are dead to sin and alive to righteousness. So let's finish up and let's look at the depiction of sanctification. Go over to 1 Peter, if you would. 1 Peter chapter, sorry, 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And here we see a, a little snapshot, a little process, if you will. Maybe that's not the best way to look at it, but um, it gives us a little bit of a picture of what sanctification should look like. So, growing up in Alabama, we, uh, we love college football in Alabama. You've probably heard me mention that a time or two. And uh, one of the, the big things in Alabama the last 10, 15 years has been one of their, their football coaches. He actually just retired this last season. And so now the, the program is a little bit uncertain. Where is it going to go? Because they had this stable coach who won six or seven championships over roughly 15 years. They were always in the running for the finals, it seemed like. They always had a top-tier program. And he became very well-known for what he called the process. The process. And he was very clear with his players. He would go out and he would recruit the best players. He would always get top five recruiting classes. So he always had the best players. And he would be very clear with them. He said, if you come to Alabama, you do things the way we do it at Alabama, if you stick to the process you will become an excellent football player. This will become an excellent football team. We will win championships at Alabama if you stick to the process. Do you know that there are, just like there are in sports, certain laws, if you will, if you put in the hard work in the weight room, if, if you do the practice on the field, if you listen to the coaches, if you, if you do what you're supposed to do, you'll win championships. Do you know in in the spiritual realm, there are laws as well? Spiritual laws. If you do things a certain way, the way that God tells you in His Word, you'll get certain results. You'll get a certain product. And here we see in 2 Peter chapter 1, we see the process, I've called it, of sanctification. So, Start in verse 3. It says, According to as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. Now, notice that. It says, According as his divine power, the power of God, it's given to us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. We have the power of God in our life to live godly through this, this life. We have access to God's power to live a godly life. Through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue. There again, the knowledge of him, just like Colossians chapter 3, verse 10. If we will know Jesus, we can have the power to live a godly life, even in this wicked world. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. There again, precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Jesus is working in us to make us more like himself. And he's given us promises. We have the promise of, of one day being glorified with God forever. We have the promise today that we have the power over sin. 
We have precious promises. We can escape the corruption that's in the world through lust. And again, going back to when we know that we are dead to our lust. And we reckon, we take inventory and say, I am in Christ, I'm going to yield to righteousness. We have the ability within ourselves, because of the power of God, to live a righteous life. And here's what he says to do. And beside this, giving all diligence. Hey, giving all diligence. Putting work into this. Putting attention to this. Add to your faith virtue. So first off, the first qualification is faith. You have to have faith in Jesus Christ. The, 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 the point of the matter is salvation happens by faith. You can't save yourself. You can't be good enough for God. You need Jesus Christ. You have to come to that point where you cast yourself totally on Jesus Christ. That's what I plan to do. When, when, well, I, I like to put it this way. When I stand before God and He says, why should I let you into heaven? I don't think it's going to happen this way. But if that were the case, my answer would be, Jesus Christ. That's it. He died on the cross for my sin. He's buried. He rose again. That's all that I need. That's all that you can have for salvation. Because once I start saying, well, I'm a good person, or I go to church, I'm a pastor, I'm starting to trust myself. So I cast myself totally on Jesus Christ. I know I have a relationship with God because of Jesus Christ. And that's it. That's where it stops. It stops with Jesus Christ. It begins and stops with him. You have to have faith in Christ. But notice this. Jesus doesn't just save us justification by faith. I don't know I'm going to heaven because of faith, and then I have to live the Christian life because of my power. I'm justified by faith, but I'm also sanctified by faith. Because the fact of the matter is, I can't live a good Christian life. I'm in the same boat as I was as a non-believer. Weak and helpless. I need Jesus Christ. He has to be the one to do the work in me. And as we've talked about, our response, really, is to yield. That's what our, our job is. So faith. Add to your faith virtue. All right? Virtue. What is virtue? It's the desire to do the right thing. It's to yield. It's to submit to the Holy Spirit. So once you have come to Christ, you've trusted in Him, saying, you are it for salvation. You're all I need. I trust in you completely. And then you just come to God and you say, God, I want to do the right thing. I want to do the right thing. You purpose in your heart. I'm going to do the right thing with your help which you have given us. It says in verses 3 and 4. And then it says to add to virtue, knowledge. Now, it's great to yield. It's great to have that that reckoning take place in your mind. But you're going to struggle unless you add knowledge to your desire. You can have great intentions, but if you don't have God's Word in you, you're going to struggle. If you're not consistently reading God's Word, you're going to struggle with doubt. You're going to struggle with with sin. You're going to struggle with lust. You're going to struggle with the assurance of your salvation. You're going, to, you're going to struggle with looking out the world and wanting what the world has. If you're not reading God's word, you need that knowledge. So, get into God's word and learn who Jesus is. Jesus is working in you to make you more like himself. 
How does this happen? What well, happens when you get into God's Word and you ask God, show me Jesus to the pages of Scripture. Just go through the book of Mark and you will be amazed how much Jesus' life can teach you. He's humble. He's submissive to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit led him into the desert to be tempted. Um, Jesus loved people. He was concerned with their, their physical and spiritual well-being. He was bold to teach the truth. He stood for the truth. He was compassionate. You just go through and read all this that Jesus is. And as you read about it and as you meditate on it, you think about that throughout the day. You'll start to notice that when something comes up in life, an aggravation that, that you used to get impatient and angry, you'll find that the Spirit of Jesus in you says, no, 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 no. Remember, we don't do that. We respond with patience. We respond with love. But it, it starts, you have to have God's knowledge in you. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit doesn't have the ammunition to, to feed you when the, the time comes. So it says knowledge. Knowledge is vital. We must have the knowledge of Jesus Christ if we're going to be like Him. 2 Peter 3.18 finishes the, chapter, the, the book with grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. You, how are you going to grow apart from having the knowledge of Christ? And then pray. Ask God to guide you. Don't go to all the work to read God's Word, to think about God's Word, and then just walk away and live life like nothing happened. It was Wednesday, Brother Stephen was, was speaking, and he mentioned George Mueller prayed and saw thousands of answers to prayer. And he said that when he would pray all the time. He'd pray hours a day. He would pray when he was uh, even doing things. He would just always be praying. And he said once he became convinced about a thing, that it was God's will, he would continue to pray for it until he saw it come to pass. We need to be like that. We need to be in, the, in every moment thinking, God, what is it you, you have for me? Is there someone in my vicinity that, that you have for me to minister to right now? Uh, God, I'm getting frustrated. Help me to, to, to not give in to the omen. Help me to do the right thing. This constant communication with God. Singing hymns and songs, spiritual songs to, to, to Christ in our hearts. Making melody in our hearts. The Bible tells us to do that. Keeping that, that fellowship with God open all day long. Reflecting on Him, who He is, filling our hearts with knowledge, and leaning on Him for guidance. Being aware of His presence each and every moment. And looking for how Scripture can be applied in our daily life. When you read a passage of Scripture in the morning, think about it and say, God, help me to see how it can be applied even today. How can I use this Scripture even today? You know, I was, uh, I was impressed upon my heart when Brother Stephen mentioned that, that story about George Mueller, about praying more throughout the day. And when I went to visit Alf and Melissa at the hospital yesterday, I was thinking, um, you know, what, what scripture can I read with them as I go up to, to see them? And so I'm walking through the hall, and I'm just having this little conversation with God. What can I read? And I, I remembered, he brought to mind John chapter 11, where, where Lazarus died. And Jesus says that this death is so that God can be glorified. And I, I said, well, that, that will comfort him, hopefully, that, that his illness, God can use his illness for his glory. 
And so I read that passage, and it was very interesting. Melissa said, well, we just read that passage, that, the John chapter 11. We were just, and she showed me her, her uh, devotion book. She was studying through the book of John. And she's, she said, oh, we just, we just came across that. So when we, when we fill ourselves with the knowledge of God, and we take time to pray and ask God to lead us and to guide us, He's going to do it! Isn't that awesome? He's, he's going to do it. He's, we're going to see Him actively working in and through our life. But the problem is, oftentimes, we rush through our time in the Word, we don't stop to pray, we get caught up in the busyness of the world, and we miss out on those opportunities to see God work. So add to your faith virtue, virtue, knowledge. And this is to your knowledge, temperance. That idea is, is not necessarily self-control. It's really the Spirit controlling you. Give yourself over to the Holy Spirit's control. Don't allow yourself to be governed by the power of lust, but rather let yourself be governed by the power of God and the Spirit of God. And then it says patience. That idea of patience is endurance. This is a challenge. The Christian life is a slugfest. It's a constant battle, day after day after day. And sometimes you're going to get tired. You're not going to feel like reading God's Word. You're not going to feel like praying. You're not going to feel like following the Holy Spirit's leading. But be patient. Endure. Day after day after day, God will give you grace one day at a time. So let Him lead you and guide you one day at a time, giving you the strength for each and every day. And then godliness, when you start to give yourself to a life of following Jesus in this close, intimate way, when you start to to grasp a hold of this truth that Jesus is in me, changing me to be more like Himself. That's His number one priority right now. Jesus' number one priority for His people is that they would be like Himself. And when you grasp hold of that, you're going to start noticing godliness in your character. You're going to start noticing similarities between how you think and how God thinks because ultimately you are thinking what God thinks. You are doing what God would want you to do. And brotherly kindness follows and then charity or love. The, the end goal is that we become to a place in our life Will we really mirror God's love? And people look at us and they say, there is a godly person. He's consistent. He's patient and enduring. He has self-control like I've never seen. How can he have self-control under under, uh, such intense pressure at work? You know, I thank God for Fiona's testimony. God's given her the ability to have a testimony under a stressful work environment to remain calm and be a testimony to those around her. When we grasp hold of this truth that Jesus Christ is in us, changing us to be more like Himself, walking each and every day with Him. But again, in closing, the key is faith. 1 John 5, 4 says, This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. 
you can take this message and you can try to go implement everything that has been said. You can read a bunch of self-help development books. You can be a self-made man. But you're going to miss the goal without faith. Without God working in your life. And so I want to close, just encourage you to take a moment and to simply thank God that Jesus is working in you to make you more like himself. And then if you're serious, I want you to ask God, this week, make me more like Jesus. Help me to see you at work changing me to be more like Jesus. Would your Holy Spirit speak very clearly to me this week and help me to yield as he guides me? I'll give you a moment to pray, talk to God personally about the work that he's doing in you to change you to be more like himself.